Welcome to the Alito Bearcats Coaches Show Podcast from Real Country 92.1 Hank FM. Brought to you by H5 Sports Barn in Alito. Recorded live every Monday night at 7 from the new Jake's Burgers in Alito. And now with Alito Bearcats head coach Robbie Jones, the voice of the Bearcats, Kevin Longquist. Haney to throw in the pass is caught. Touchdown. Blake Burdine into the back right corner of the end zone. 16 yards on the touchdown pass from Haas Haney to Blake Verdine. And that was one of the few touchdowns that the uh, Bearcats scored in the first half of uh, this past Friday's 70 to nothing victory homecoming, if you will, over Saginaw. Hi, everybody. I'm Kevin Lonquist. Glad to have you with us again, once again, for the Alito Coaches Show podcast here on 92.1 Hank FM. Here at the New Jakes on 1187, glad to have you with us. And we've moved to the patio, so... As we get cooler, this will be even more and more uh, of a thing to do. And it's actually not too bad here as we're recording this on this uh, Monday, the uh, 25th of uh, September. And, Coach, congratulations on getting to 5-0. and And just talk a little bit about you know, the way your team performed. Again, another business-like performance. And, again, a, and an opponent that you, obviously you were clearly better than. And ha- your kids handled it the way they should have. Right. You know, they came into the game you know, focused on, on the job at hand. And went and, and took care of business. And when they do that, you know, against an opponent like Saginaw, uh, you're going to see a lopsided score early, uh, which we did. You know, the defense played well. Uh, offense, of course, you know, was scoring at will. And, you know, when, when things go well like that, you know, it's, it's a testament to, you know, the kids' focus. National District winning streak now is at 114 for the Bearcats. They're going to put that on the line this coming Friday night when they travel over to the Colony. For the first time ever, they'll be facing the Cougars over in their building. The uh, 6.30 start uh, pregame show on 92.1 Hank FM with the kickoff at 7 o'clock. By the way, we do want to mention uh, that the downloads of the first four podcasts have been exceeding about 150 uh, each week. This week, we're about 100 on those downloads between the YouTube channel and then the podcast channel. So again, make sure that you get the word out to all of your friends as far as the podcast is concerned as they continue as we continue on through this. And there are some discussions about this, perhaps uh, running throughout the course of the academic calendar. More to come on that as we go along here. And so, Coach, again, a 70 to nothing game. And I don't think I've ever seen a quarter, though, that jumped out to 39 to nothing um, like that one. Have you ever been involved in a quarter that just erupted like that? No, I can't remember one. You know, we, we've had some high-scoring quarters before, but, you know, it felt like that first quarter took forever, uh, <laughs> and uh, and it, it kind of did. But, uh, you know, it was great, you know, feeling, you know, seeing the kids out there, you know, performing the way they were performing. Deja vu all over again because you scored the first four times that you had the ball. Mm-hmm. Again, Saginaw had the first – scored the first four times that you had the ball against Azel the previous week. Is it just a matter of the way that the kids have done attention to detail, the way they've handled themselves, and the way that they come out with their approach at the thing that you always look for beyond just maybe what the final score is going to be? Yeah, I think it's, it shows, you know, the, the game plan. You know, they, they knew the game plan well, you know, and, and those are the things we're going to come out and run right away, you know, are the, some of the new things that uh, Coach Williams has put in. And, you know, and when they go out and execute them well, it's going to show uh, with the first four scores. You know, and then your defense, once again, contributes to this. You get a safety on an intentional grounded in the end zone. I wasn't sure at the original time that I thought that Roman Morales had gotten outside the tackle box. Obviously, he did not. But then, obviously, you get the defensive score, too. Um, this, and I know we've talked about the defensive being a part of uh, the scoring for this program. 
but is it just a matter of right place, right time, or how do you even describe how these scores come about? The defensive scores, you know, it's basically because, you know, our, we, get, we got such good defense, you know, and that's the case each and every year. You know, we, we pride ourselves on playing good defense, you know, and Coach McCone has done a really good job with those guys. He, he gets them motivated, gets them in the right spot, you know, and those kids then go make plays. Let's talk a little bit about in a game like this when it does get out of hand like this, and obviously we had a running clock in the second half, uh, in that first half which took, I don't know, maybe like an hour and 20 minutes or whatever it was, and then we had a long halftime because of the – homecoming festivities, but then our second half was probably about 30 minutes in total between, uh, I think there were maybe a total of four possessions in, the, in that second half. You know, for you all, uh, when you all are in a situation like that, is, is it more or less incumbent upon the opposing coach to talk up to the officials about doing the clock, or you and the coach talking about that amongst yourselves and then going to the officials? Does it vary opponent to opponent when it gets to a situation like that, or how does it evolve? Yeah, it depends on who you're playing. You know, some coaches, you know, will talk about it maybe pregame if they feel like, you know, they're overmatched. Uh, I didn't talk with Coach Peters about that uh, before the game, but he did say something to the officials, you know, when he came out at half, and I agreed that, yeah, uh, it's probably best that we go ahead and run this clock. We're going to be able to get our second guys in. You know, we're going to get plenty of playing time with them. You know, it's just a matter of, hey, let's not – try to embarrass the other team you know for you all 60 i mean 67 points in the first half is obviously more than what you would expect in, in any type of game but the way that your kids uh, approach the second half very businesslike and i want to ask you a little bit about maybe just cole crawford because he's had a really quiet good year for you three out of four field goals he had the 38 yarder in the second half against second his only miss was some 37 uh, a couple weeks ago against azel but that it was pretty close but i mean he has really kind of developed into a weapon for you, and a guy that you can count on uh, the more that he kicks and the more you put him in opportunities to succeed. Right, yeah, and that's what we're looking for from Cole. You know, we, we knew he was a good kicker coming in. You know, he kicked a lot for us last year. Uh, we, we want to get him in some of those situations like that. You know, we got him in that 38-yard, you know, uh, range last week, and, and we instead of going forward on fourth down, we called him – to go out there and make that kick just to put him in those situations so that later on down the year if we need one of those in a, a big time game he's used to going out and doing that and that is that more or less where and again you know he had the issue where you know he missed the extra point against denton guyer but then comes back and drills the game winning uh 21 yarder to beat denton guyer it's all about confidence do, to what extent do you think confidence more than mechanics than anything else is really the life of a kicker's success. Yeah, I mean, a kicker's got to have confidence in himself going out there and making that. You know, uh, if he goes out there thinking that there's no way he's going to make it and too nervous about it, he, he's not going to make it. So, you know, we got to put him in the situations to where he has success, and that success will then lead to, you know, the confidence. Last year when he was doing a, a lot of this, what do you think that meant to his growth just as – being a, a contributing member to this program to where he is now. Yeah, he got a lot of experience as a sophomore. You know, when ideally he would have been on the JV getting the kicks on the JV, but uh, when Clay didn't come out and kick uh, at the beginning of the year, it allowed for Cole to get all that experience, and that experience has paid off for him this year, I think. Yeah, and even when Clay was uh, unavailable, I think Clay was not available for the uh, Midlothian game last year. I think he was – and then you, obviously you guys win that game in dramatic fashion, but – the way Cole handles himself in those playoff games. What do you think you saw from him in those playoff games? You know, we, we saw what we you know expect out of him. We expect him to, to make big field goals when we need them uh, and to make every extra point that's available. The one streak that did get snapped for the Bearcats this week was uh, 
Sophomore running back Ray Guillory, his streak of 100-yard uh, games uh, ended at three. He only had 55, but he only had three carries in the game, and he was out of the game pretty much like the end of the first quarter. But I think he had 122 total yards between rushing and receiving, four touchdowns total for him. And I noticed, in a, and more than once, I noticed it obviously on one of the touchdowns that he caught that you all have split him out a little bit more. Is that a new wrinkle or is that something you all have really worked on throughout the course of the off season, or is this something that's fairly new? It's something that we work on all year. You know, uh, that's, you know, part of what we call our loaded package where he's out of the backfield and into the receiver spot. So, you know, it's just something, you know, and we feel really good about Ray's hands. Ray has really good hands and we can throw the ball to him at any time. So let's talk a little bit about just the, the way that he has evolved. I mean, I know I talk, it seems like I talk about it every week, but in a game like this where he is so two-dimensional or a dual-dimensional for you, what do you think the problem that he's going to pose for opposing defenses? What's the Because they're going to have to try and take something away from him, but then if they do, then he can do the other. Right, and, and that's the problem. You know, you try to take the run away, then the pass is going to be there. You know, we have a great quarterback uh, that can get the ball to our receivers. We have other talented receivers. You know, uh, our problem right now is getting enough balls – you know, thrown to some of those guys. You know, uh, we're not getting, you know, a lot of balls thrown to certain guys right now. Uh, we're, we're working on that. You know, Ray only got, what, three carries uh, last week. You know, I'm sure that's going to pick up this week because the Colony has a, a lot better defense than what we've seen uh, the last couple of weeks. You know, so, you know, those things are going to come. You know, we just got to be patient, you know, and our guys got to realize that, hey, it's, it's all about the team. It's not about me. You know, I'm going to get my touches, you know, eventually and, you know, just roll with it like it is. Speaking of getting touches, Caden Finley came back after missing the last two weeks with the ankle injury. Kind of a, a little bit of a slow start, but then I think maybe that hitch route that went for 70 yards and the score that he was running away from everybody, that seemed to maybe kind of, that was seemed like to be a big lift off his shoulders there. It just kind of felt like he was getting into the season. What do you think that meant? Yeah, it, it felt good. You know, it felt good for me. It felt good for Coach Williams. It felt good for him. Uh, you know, and we, we had tried to get him the ball, you know, earlier a couple of times, you know, and we had just misfired. Uh, they had played the, the play a little better than what the, we had thought they would. You know, but, you know, to see him going down the sidelines, you know, and, and pulling away from those guys, that felt really good. You know, and I told him he looked fast on that play, and he goes, Coach, I had one similar to that last year against the Colony, and I got tackled at about the four-yard line. He said, I wasn't going to let anybody catch me. <laughs> and, and the one thing about him is that I think uh, people kind of maybe misjudge his speed because he's got such long strides. It seems like he doesn't appear to be running as fast as he really is. Right, yeah. He, he's faster than what he looks sometimes, you know, because of what you just said. You know, it, it doesn't appear. That's kind of the Vince Young, you know, type deal. You know, Vince Rum, Young was out there running. People didn't realize how fast he was going because it looked just so effortless and so smooth. You know, and Caden's kind of like that. You know, he's a bigger guy, uh, but he can run, and, and he can run away from people. And, you know, we had him, and we misfired on a, a post route, you know, where he had him beat and, and, and some other things. In our second segment, we're going to be talking to a couple of the offensive linemen, both seniors, uh, left tackle DJ Williams and center Alex Arana. And you have four seniors with this front. And I want to ask, and of course, the only one is uh, DJ's younger brother, who is a sophomore. But I want to ask you about in terms of just gauging the chemistry of that group. When does it have to start? Does it have to start basically the first day of offseason, or when do you think it really has to start for yeah. them to get what you want them to look like? It was back during the spring. You know, those guys, you know, we had four guys coming back that were starting for us at the end of the year last year, and we just needed to plug one more guy in there, you know, and 
And, and to do that, we had to move DJ from guard to tackle, you know, and plug his brother in right next to him. But I think the chemistry of the group, you know, was set up last year because, you know, it's not very difficult to bring your brother in to play right next to you. Right. You know, but, you know, those guys worked well together last year. They've continued that into this year, you know, and and they're the heart and soul of our team. I, I tell everybody that all the time. You know, all we talk about are these skill guys, you know, the guys that are making the touchdowns, the guys that, you know, are, are getting the big long runs and long catches. But – you can't do all that without the guys up front, you know, and, and those guys have a special place in my heart. You know, uh, I played a little offensive line, even though I don't look like it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was a, a small-town guy, you know, 2A school. I, I was a tailback, you know, when I was young and, and eventually grew myself into an, uh, an offensive guard. And, you know, and I know what those guys go through on a daily basis, and it's not, it's not easy. Uh, but they never complain. You know, all they do is they love football and they get out there and play every each other day. Now, for offensive linemen, do we hear this so much at the college and the NFL level where all these guys are learning to practice at all three level at all three positions, either the guard or the tackles or the centers. So, is that something that your offensive linemen do? Because if they have to go into a pinch at a different spot, is that how? And to what extent do you work them out if you do that? No, not all of them. You know. Most of them do work either guard and tackle or guard and center or tackle and center. You know, we have, you know, four or five different guys that are snapping uh, during the day uh, because we don't want to get into a situation where we lose our top two centers. We, that's actually happened to us before. Right. Uh, in, in 2000, which was my first year here, uh, our center goes down. Uh, he was also the deep snapper on the extra point, and somebody fell on his leg, uh, and he, he, I don't remember what he, he hurt. He hurt his knee. I know that. Uh, but then we had to go to the number two center. Well, the number two center was our starting right guard who had separated his shoulder. Mm. And so he couldn't snap. So we had gone all the way down to the third center, you know, which, you know, is not ideal. And we had some issues with snaps. Mm. Okay. And that obviously makes a huge difference then because of that. And, of course, uh, Alex Arana, who was not playing on Friday against Saginaw, expected to be back this week yes. against the Colony. Um, one thing we wanted to point out with this Alito offense, and we talk about – every coaches talk about – how they want to get balanced, but this is uncommon balance for the Bearcats this year. Through the first five games, they have rushed for 1,196 yards. They have passed for 1,174 yards. I've never seen a number that close that deep into a season like that. Can you even explain that? Well, you know, it, it's basically the fact that we have really good receivers and we have a quarterback that can get the ball to them. Uh, we had something real similar to that in uh, 2019 which was when Jake Bishop was a senior. Uh, we averaged right at, you know, I think there was maybe two yards difference in, in pass and run that year. And we had Jason McClellan back there running the football. You know, but we still had, we had Money Parks and we had JoJo Earl. You know, we had Kate Jones. Right. Uh, and uh, we were throwing the ball around quite a bit, you know, that year. And, and we were really balanced, you know, more than we normally were. And this year we're kind of the same way. You know, we can, we can run the ball and we can throw the ball. You know, and, and we've got really good receivers that we can get the ball out to. And, and that's going to be a focus for us is to try and get, you know, the ball in those guys' hands. Kind of a pick-your-poison scenario, if you right. will. Or at yeah. least you hope so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a nice problem to have. I mean, uh, Ray, you know, the other night he only had three carries. But he was also big in, in the pass game. But, you know, in the you know, Jonathan Gray-type errors where, you know, before the RPO, uh, we're just handing the ball off to him, you know, uh, 15 times a game, you know. Uh, and then in the big games, he's going to go get 25 more. 
you know, and we don't have to do that this year. We can throw the ball as much as we can run it. The Bearcats, again, going to be on the road this Friday night. Actually, the first of two road games for them uh, because after this Friday at the Colony, they're going to be over at South Hills in Fort Worth. That'll be on Thursday, October the uh, 5th, I believe that is. And so uh, the Colony at 2-3, two 2-1, and, three, two and one, huge 27-20 victory over Denton Ryan this past Thursday. And I think there were a couple of motive. The thing that struck me about that win for them is the fact that they rallied from a 20-7 to halftime deficit. Then they got, then Denton Ryan made a gamble deep in its own territory that went against it. And then obviously they got a fourth down stop right at the end of the game where Ryan was trying to tie it. Mm-hmm. Where Ryan was trying to tie it. And, uh, but, you know, and you, we've talked about this. We even talked about this last year where the Colony and the Denton Ryan kids have known each other for years. And last year's game was pretty tight and, and Denton Ryan won. And then the Colony goes on the road up at Collins and wins that game. Yeah, those guys are neighbors. You know, they're right next to each other. You know, their boundaries uh, back up to one another. So they're real familiar with one another. So the Colony kids are not scared of the Denton Ryan kids, you know, and and they go in and they get after each other. It was a really tight game last year as well. You know, so the the Colony played them, you know, as tight as anybody played them last year. You know, and uh, they're excited right now. You know, know, they, they just upset, you know, somebody that they had never beat. And so they're, they're going to come into our game with a lot of confidence. They're going to think that they have a chance against us, which sometimes, you know, we play people, they don't think they have a chance coming in. This group thinks they have a chance to beat us. You know, so it's going to be a challenge for our guys. And I'm sure that score that you showed them and that all of your players saw got their attention uh, more than anything else. Yeah, it did. You know, uh, that, that was being talked about uh, Friday morning, the fact that uh, the Colony had just upset didn't Ryan, so the colony is definitely better than they were last year. They uh, are led by quarterback Carson Cox, who's thrown for about 800 yards and nine scores. Their running back, uh, Kendrick McClaudin, 415 yards uh, on the ground, kind of like their go-to running back there. What do you see from them on offense? You know, offensively, they're, they're going to run a lot of uh, a power uh, run game, you know, but then they also have a lot of RPO off of it. Uh, they try to throw deep balls. they got a couple of receivers that can run. Uh, and they try to throw a lot of deep balls to those guys, you know. So, you know, it's a challenge for us. You know, the guys that I brought here uh, last week, our two cornerbacks, they're going to have to do a, a really good job on their outside receivers. Uh, and then, you know, up front, we can't get knocked off the football. Defensively, what is the challenge that they provide? Uh, they're pretty good defensively, and, and they're all over the place. You know, they don't line up, you know, in a base defense hardly at all. Uh, they're going to line up a little bit different each and every snap. You know, even when you get in the same formation uh, a couple of times, they're going to line up different to it every time. You know, so the problem there is, you know, you got to identify the front, you got to identify where the linebackers are, and uh, you got to know your assignment and go execute your assignment. We'll look forward to it again. The Bearcats on the road this coming Friday night, six thirty start is the pregame show when they will travel to take on the colony. Kickoff is at 7 o'clock at Tommy Briggs Stadium. I don't know if you ever knew Tommy Briggs, the uh, late head coach there. Uh, super, super guy. I mentioned it in my early days of reporting. I had a chance to visit with Tommy. Uh, but, but obviously, the, when the stadium bears his name, it kind of tells you what people thought of him around there. Yeah, and I think Coach Buchanan coached for him. Uh, back in the late 80s, uh, Coach Buchanan was at the colony uh, when the colony first opened up. So, he, you know, he worked for him, so he knows him. All right, sounds good, Coach. Well, listen, again, thanks so much, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing it all develop on Friday. All right, thank you. All right, Head Coach Robbie Jones with us. On the other side of this break, we will be joined by offensive lineman D.J. Williams and center Alex Arana. That is D.J. Williams, the left tackle. He's the commit to the University of Louisiana. And then Alex Arana, who uh, is going to be back in the lineup this coming 
Friday. Stick around with us. The uh, players are coming up next on the second segment. You're listening to the Alito Coaches Podcast on 92.1 Hank FM. Haney will dump the screen. It's caught. This is going to be a big gain for Guillory, and he'll walk it in. Touchdown, Alito Bearcats. That was one of the early touchdowns that the Bearcats scored in this past Friday's 70 to nothing victory over Saginaw High on homecoming. I'm Kevin Lonquist back here for the second segment of the uh, Alito Coaches Show here on 92.1 Hank FM. want to remind you that H5 Sports Barn and Knife Physio and Performance can help unlock your athletic potential and elevate your game like the Alito Bearcats with expert sports physical therapy, tailored recovery plans, and top-notch sports performance training. H5 Sports Barn, proud supporters of the Alito Bearcats. We want to give you also an update on some Alito alums. We talked about a couple weeks ago where Braden Fowler and Nicolosi got the start uh, a couple weeks ago against Colorado and Boulder, he actually had a wonderful football game. He will throw for throw for well threw for well more than or well than uh, 300 yards. This past week against Middle Tennessee State, a game that Colorado State won 31 to 23. Fowler Nicolosi 321 yards through the air, a couple of touchdowns, and again back to back 300 yard games to him. For, so congratulations. He actually led them to a comeback win on the road down there in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Uh, of course, Jason McClellan playing for Alabama, probably one of his better games as a member of the Crimson Tide, 105 yards and a touchdown as the Crimson Tide beat Ole Miss by a score of 24 to 10. And then uh, Chris Wright, you might remember him from days gone by, one of the defensive tackles. He got a tackle in a victory over Louisiana Tech on September 16th. North Texas had the week off, but he's getting some burns, starting to get him into that rotation there for the North Texas defense. So that's your Alito alumni update. We're now pleased to be joined by our two big guns of the offensive line. That is, to my immediate left is the senior center, Alex Arana, and to my far left is uh, the left tackle, the blind side, DJ Williams. Give it up to these young gentlemen here. All right, guys, so let's start with you. DJ, I'm going to start with you because you made the switch from guard to left tackle, which is obviously going to be the most important spot because because you've got to protect your quarterback's blind side since you got a right-handed quarterback in Haas Haney. When you made the switch, what was the greatest technical challenge that you had to go through in order to get, in order to feel comfortable with that? Uh, for me, the biggest challenge was really just getting the plays down again <clears throat> because I played tackle most of my life, so it really wasn't that big of a deal for me. It was really just learning who to block and how to block them was the biggest like change because guard will block a D tackle instead of a D end. And so some, some of the times we would call some of our plays and I still block it like a guard and then it would mess up the whole play because we'd leave I'd leave a guy unblocked so that was the biggest thing okay and Alex I think second year for you to start as a center so let's talk a little bit about it didn't play but you were, uh, didn't play against Saginaw but you're expected back this coming Friday against uh, the colony and so just working in the middle of the offense because you're the one that makes all the calls in terms of what your what the look is going to be so just talk, take us through that responsibility and how you get the other four lined up yeah you know um, just going through all the calls, just breaking down everything. It's a big job sometimes. You know, it gets kind of confusing. You just got to calm down and, you know, be loud out there, honestly. You got to lead the whole line. I mean, they help me a lot, honestly. It's really fun being out there. I got to call if it's a 4-1, 4-2, 3-3 stack, bear, 3-2, all the sorts of fronts, you know. Now, players, when they're looking at film and breaking down opponents the coming week, they're going to look for several keys. So when you're able to identify what the defensive alignment looks for. What are, are you mainly looking at where maybe the linebacker is, the middle linebacker is, or where a safety's position? What are you looking at? 
Um, I look at a lot of things, to be honest. I look at uh, key tells that the linebacker has, key tells that the D-line has, any type of moves that they like to swim, if they like to push pull on me. Um, key tells, like, in case they shift ever, so we could, like, call that out right before the play snaps because the colony, I mean, even they have – they may not have some of the most athletic guys sometimes, but they still are really athletic. They like to do a lot of confusing stuff. They'll switch from a four to a three front a lot. So we got to be ready for that. Yeah, and DJ, I was going to say, because uh, Coach Jones mentioned this on our first segment about the fact that you're going to be facing a defensive front in the colony. We'll talk about them here for right now. But let's just the fact that when a team like this changes its, its looks like they do, Yes, um, they could go as many as 15 different looks in a game in terms of they could go they could have two down linemen they could have three they could have four what's the what are you all looking for in terms of how to adjust to that on the fly because it really is adjusting on the fly well like this week <clears throat> specifically we're looking at how the linebackers line up and which linebackers come down which linebackers are staying back and which ones shift over in their positions like if one of the linebacker if one of the mike linebackers the middle linebackers come up we'll call it either a four four one or a three three stack but if one of the outside linebackers come up, it could be a 3-2 or a 4-2 because the inside linebackers are still up. And that's how we're going to block it, depending on really just the two inside linebackers. So I want to ask you guys a little bit about blocking for this offense. I don't know if you got a chance to hear uh, how balanced this offense is. Um, you know, as, as crazy balanced as this is, only a 22-yard difference between run and pass. What is the advantage of knowing that this team is so balanced like this to block for it? Or what is the challenge? I'll start with you, Alex, about that. Um, I really think it's awesome having some studs in the backfield, Ray and Hawk, and then having stud receivers, Finley, Tyson Timms, Cole McCoy, I mean, everyone. It really makes it easy. I mean, first thing is we want to run the ball first. That's my main thing. Always love running the ball, but... You know, if that doesn't always work out, we always have the long bomb down the field or the short slant, you know. It's really, I think this is one of the best offenses Alito has ever seen. And, and that's saying something, and that's saying something for, because, like, the 2013 team had over 1,000 points. And, yeah. this, and this group may not make that, but it's pretty darn uh, uh, proficient the way it does it. Again, for those who didn't hear, through the first five games, 1,196 yards rushing, 1,174 yards passing. So I'm going to ask you on this, DJ, as far as like different styles, because you obviously had to get comfortable with Ray Guillory coming in, and his style was, is obviously different than anybody else or whatever. And then you have to do the same thing with Hawk Daniels because his style is different. And then you got to account for Haas's style too. So when you, are there different things that you look for as a blocker in terms of what their tendencies are, what they like to do with the football, so that you can give them that crease? Uh, no, sir. Really, what I do is... My big thing is opening either if it's running to the left side, it's opening the gap that's supposed to be open. So if we're trying to run outside, I'm trying my hardest to hook the end and seal the whole box so that there is a void, like almost a hole in between the line and the receivers out there so that they can, whoever runs through there has a wide open lane. But if it's run to the right, I make sure I go out of my way and I try to make a cutback lane. It's like it will be like a 60 zone or something. And so I'll dig the end, and instead of just digging him, I'll dig him and try to drive him back towards the opposite sideline so that in case they do need a cutback, there's a wide cutback lane for anybody who's running the ball. It's perfect for you, Alex, because you, since you, uh, you have AA as your initials, that it's kind of like you're, you're king of the A-gaps there. <laughs> and so uh, I want to ask you a little bit about, because 
Obviously, so much of a team's success is going to be made being able to run between those A-gaps. What's the important thing between you and your guards to make sure that chemistry is flowing so that you get the holes that you're looking for in those two tight spots? I mean, it's honestly everything. I mean, I love my guards, Peyton Williams, DJ's brother, Carter Campbell. I mean, I couldn't ask for two better guys to be beside me. They know what they're doing. Carter's one of the most smart people I know. And then Peyton is a tremendous athlete. So... Our chemistry and that being very important is it's just a really good thing. I mean, we have to make the A-gap and B-gap work all the time because, you know, our bread and butter play is 60 and 61 zone, and that's my favorite play to run because you just run out the gut or pull it with Haas because, you know, he has wheels. And, the, <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, and in fact, you, you make a good point about with Haas because obviously you're snapping to him pretty much out of the shotgun with the exception of a play here and there. It's the timing and the chemistry of that because you've got to be sure that either you hear him or if it's on a silent count that you've got to look for some sort of physical movement from him in order to get it back to him so the play can get moving quickly as possible. What's that, what's that like working with him as far as just that? Because that's where it all starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I started building that chemistry with Haas last year. I mean, I was a first-year starter. It was his first start at quarterback last year, and I feel like we really got to build that chemistry. I mean, He's probably the best quarterback I've ever played with, probably one of the best players I've ever played with. And, you know, he puts his hand down, I'm ready to go, and that's how it all plays out. How much have you guys worked on him just working under center with you? Um, Usually in, like, short yard situations or in the red zone or on goal line. We do it a ton, honestly. We may not do it every time, but, like, when we get in those situations, I'm really, really confident in me getting that snap to him. And... He stays in there. He doesn't go out too fast. So I think the chemistry there is really good. You know, DJ, we saw a couple weeks ago in the uh, district opener against Justin Northwest where you guys really, and this has seemed, I mean, I've been doing Alito football for the last 18 seasons, but it seemed like there was that conscientious effort to really make sure the running game starts to become established here. That that's Because this is what Alito has done for as long as it's been successful. But it seemed like that's kind of like, Let's just get it going here. Let's start sending the message. Is that kind of how it started with – is that the way it's always been for as long as you've been in this program? Get going with, with the district to send the physical message of what this team is intending to do. Uh, yes, sir. Like, <clears throat> I think the biggest message is establishing the run game so that our pass game, whenever we do need it, it's wide open. Because Alito is known for their running da- right down your throat. Their, their bread and butter is 60 and 61 zone, like Alex said earlier. So, it de- like, whenever we get in our real tight situations, that's – our main play it doesn't matter if it's third and third and eight or first and ten like i mean we're gonna we're gonna run the um 60 and 61 zone every play so like establishing our run game earlier in the season is very important because it shows it puts people kind of on notice that whenever we whenever they need to stop us they have to stop our run game and it's very it's a very volatile run game and i was going to say um you know, that's what really made the difference in a lot of these deep playoff runs. I mean, when you guys really needed it, uh, you know, when you love it, Cooper, and that cold weather out there, uh, out in Snyder, and then the, the slugfest against Midlothian the week after, you really seen that's where the running game really had to make the. And even in the district game where you guys were able to spring Haas for that long touchdown run at Denton Ryan, um, actually, you have a big smile on your face on that, Alex. I want to ask you about that play. I'm freelancing here on that, that play against Denton Ryan last year that sprung, I think it was 87 yards. But take us through that play. And, DJ, you were part of that play as well. But do you, what do you remember of that play last year? Because that was pretty much like the play that won the district championship for you guys. And so what, what do you remember about that play? It was a really cool play, to be honest. I mean, the, the, how fast Haas is just amazes me sometimes. Like, 
I'll see creases in like holes that are really tiny and the way he gets through them and the way he just runs just amazes me. It leaves me dumbfounded. And that, that specific play just, I think, cemented how well we run the ball with running backs and quarterbacks. And I think it really put the whole state on notice because, I mean, last year we were kind of underdogs. I mean, it was a brand new team. We had some returning starters, but that kind of cemented us and put us on the map, I feel like. And what do you remember about that play, DJ? The thing I remember about that play is I was running with Hoss because I was blocking my guy. Did you outrun him? No. (laughs) No. I remember the guy, he ran right past us. And so and it was a play where I was supposed to block my guy and then go. And so I was just running behind him, and I, I was keeping up decently well. And then out of nowhere, he just hit a second gear, and I was like, yeah, I'm not even going to try to keep up. But I just, stopped, I just stopped running and started jogging. I was like, I'll get ready for PAT. All right. So you were like the rest of us just being a spectator watching that play that yes, unfold. Sir. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your recruiting features uh, here. And uh, DJ, obviously you're committed to the University of Louisiana down in Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns. And just talk about that decision that you made, the other schools that you were seriously considering before you committed to the, to the Raging Cajuns. Take us through that process. Uh, so the big three schools that are – I guess real big four schools I was really considering was UL, UTSA, um, UNT, and Arizona State University. And I chose UL because all, all four of those schools really were the exact same. They had really great coaches. They had a re- most, all of them had a really great culture there. They had history of winning. But the reason I chose UL really was my older brother goes there. So it was just like I knew that I was going to have that, like, person there to make sure that I'm always on top of my stuff, making sure I wasn't falling behind in classes, making sure I wasn't lagging during practice, making sure that I wasn't just, um, how my dad calls it, pulling a DJ sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So so I really chose that there because it's almost like I'm going to have, I'm taking a little bit of piece of home with me. So that even if I do get homesick, I won't be as homesick. I'll still have my older brother there. I'm going to sidestep for a second. Playing with your brother Peyton, who's who's right next to you on left guard. What's that been like? I mean, you're a senior this year, so it's kind of like some emotional value to it. But just what has that been like to play with him this year? It's been fun. It's been real fun. And it's funny because sometimes he, one of us will run the wrong play and they will start bickering at each other. And then like, after the game, people will be like, do you fight a lot at home? And we're like, no, just, just on the football field during the game sometimes. <laughs> so, it, but it's been really fun. You know, he, un, he's understand the offense and, you know, he does his job. He does his job and he does it better than, um, <clears throat> than really than traffic. He does his job the best to his abilities and stuff. And so it really helps where we work together and then even on plays where we're not working together per se, we still try to think. So like we'll open gaps that in otherwise would be closed because we just like we've grown up around we've had our, the same coaches our whole life. So we understand football in the same way. So in this bickering, Alex, you have to step in there and play a peacemaker with those two? <laughs> I mean, uh, sometimes. I mean, during that Azel game, they started really getting at each other's throats. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit about your recruiting situation here. Uh, Alex, I'll, I'll finish up with you on your, your situation in Louisiana here in just a minute, DJ. But Alex, you just got an offer today on Monday. So just talk about the offer you got today and the other schools that have offered you. Uh, yeah, I just got one from a D3 school up in Central, Central College in Iowa. My, uh, it's my brother's alma mater, so it was actually pretty special. been talking to him over for a year now, and the, I really know the coaching staff really well, so I'm really happy I got that. And I got one last week, uh, five days ago, Austin College. I have Centenary. 
talking to Warburg College, uh, one of the top D3s. I had a little conversation with Mayor Harden Baylor, and yeah. Okay, so for you, I mean, this opportunity to play at the next level, uh, what does that mean to you Having the, when you have that kind of interest? Obviously, the program's success plays a role in this, but obviously you've got to have the ability to do it as well. But what does that mean to you to have that kind of opportunity in front of you to play at, in college? Honestly, it means a lot, you know. I've been working my butt off for since middle school, honestly, since I remember I told myself, I kind of made a little vow to myself in seventh grade that I really wanted to play at the next level, and I'm just going to go and see where the Lord's plan takes me on that, and I've been praying a lot about it, so after the season, we'll see what happens, and yeah. It's a situation, too, where maybe you don't have to decide in December, because these are D3 schools where they, where they can kind of wait, and you can kind yeah. of wait and kind of evaluate. I would think that that kind of plays to your advantage, then, just to kind of evaluate more schools and kind of just see where is the best fit for you yes sir okay and then for and then for you dj as far as you know with louisiana and obviously as as a big size as you are six four three hundred i think it is uh in terms of other schools that have other i know you've just told me before we uh, started this second segment that uh you're pretty locked into louisiana because of your older brother being down there but have there been any other division one schools maybe a power five school that have tried to at least get your attention over these last couple of weeks? And what do you have to anticipate, perhaps all the way up to signing day in December? Um, ASU has like started recruiting me more and more again. But um, other than that, I think I really will stay with UL. It's, what I, it's where I want to go. It's, uh, they're a great school. They have a history of winning. They also have a history of developing players and putting it in the league. So I think that's where I want to yeah, go. And you obviously, are, and you, you, know, you guys are, well, for you, and then you'll soon join them. Uh, but, I mean, currently this program has seven guys that are committed to either Division One schools or FCS programs. And, so, and then you've seen a lot of guys go through the recruiting process before you. So I'm going to start with you, Alex, about just watching those other guys go through the process and how they've dealt with it and then things that you've learned just watching them handle when it's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of attention, just trying to tune out the noise and kind of compartmentalize everything. Honestly, it's been like a big help, especially with like last year's seniors. Uh, Isaac Stone, who was our left tackle last year, he was honestly kind of a big inspiration in the way he handled himself on and off the field. With those offers, uh, Ansel Dimu is now at Washington State. He honestly handled those offers really well. He got a ton of offers at one time. I remember he had like 10 in like a few weeks span. It was crazy. And he always stayed calm about it. And he always told me that he's going to trust in God and wherever um, decision he makes with that. And then for you, DJ, you kind of had that run of a, a lot of offers coming your way. How did you handle that? Um, well, I think I handled it pretty well. But like the, I think my, the three biggest takeaways was... One, ask God for guidance. He's going to put you at the best place for you no matter – it doesn't matter where you think you should go. He's going to put everything in place to where, yeah, you may have all these Power 5 offers, but maybe that's not the school for you. Maybe you, maybe you, maybe going to a group of five is better for you than going to a Power 5. And then the second thing was don't let offers get to your head. It was like you just – yeah, you have them, but just as easy – just how you got them, they can be easily taken away just by one little mistake one wrong thing said and another thing is these coaches talk to kids all day so like don't overthink anything don't overthink about what you're saying because that's whenever you wind up saying the wrong thing so okay all right guys okay just a quick word about just getting ready for the colony this week i mean you um what's going to be the thing that, that you guys feel like you have to do on the offensive line to help you guys put yourselves in a position so that you can get to six and oh alex i'll start with you what do you have to do um i mean it's run first you know that's my main thing. I mean, 
before every game, I have this hat that says, excuse my language, run the damn ball. I mean, <laughs> that's what I try to do. We try to do that every week. I mean, I know our coach, Coach Wheeler and Coach Corley, uh, put that into our minds every game that we want to dominate them and kind of make them not want to play the game anymore on the run game. But, you know, sometimes that doesn't work out during the game, and we go towards the pass. And the Colony is a really good team. I mean, they're a really solid team. They upset Denton Ryan, who's probably the one of the other toughest teams in the district. So I think it will be a really good game. And, yeah. And then for you, DJ, obviously when the Colony won that game, I'm sure that got everybody's in that locker room's attention on that. So what's your approach to this one coming up? Uh, so the biggest thing is as a team, we all have to stay calm. They, they've obviously proven that they're a very good team, that they can upset the toughest teams in our district. The thing is staying calm, not getting too high, not getting too low. No matter, It doesn't matter if you have one bad play, get ready for the next one. Because, yeah, one bad play is okay, but if you have two, three, four bad plays, that's a whole drive, and then that's whenever they wind up scoring, and that's when bad things happen. One last question for you about Louisiana and your arrival there. Are you looking to arrive in Lafayette in January or June? Um, I'm going in January. You are going in January. Okay, yes, just sir. like a lot of these other guys from this team too. Okay. Yes, this, these two gentlemen are seniors. They are two anchors of the – Alito Bearcats 2023 offensive line. To my immediate left is the center, Alex Arana. To my far left is the left tackle, DJ Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for these two young men. <laughs> we want to remind you that H5 Sports Bar and an eye physio and performance can help unlock your athletic potential and elevate your game like the Alito Bearcats with expert sports physical therapy, tailored recovery plans, and top-notch sports performance training. H5 Sports Barn, proud supporter of the Aledo Bearcats. Again, the Bearcats on the road this coming Friday night, a 6.30 start at the Colony. That's the pregame show on 92.1 Hank FM. The kickoff is at 7 o'clock with yours truly and Kyle Hicks and Mercedes Meyer. The Deacon has all the stats, and Hayden Posey are quite novice, or not novice, but are quite knowledgeable engineer. I'm Kevin Longquist. Thank you for being with us. Next week, we'll be back here on the patio for another edition of the KTFW High School KTFW Alito Coaches Show here. And thank you all for being a part of this. We'll see you all next week. So long for now. Thanks for listening to the Alito Bearcats Coaches Show podcast. Brought to you by H5 Sports Barn in Alito with Bearcats head coach Robbie Jones and the voice of the Bearcats, Kevin Longquist. Please like and subscribe to this podcast and tell a friend. You're also welcome to join us in person every Monday night at 7 from the new Jake's Burgers, 601 FM 1187 in Alito. And then listen to every Alito Bearcats game home and away live on 92. Hank FM on the free 92.1 Hank FM app or online at 921HankFM.com. The Alito Coaches Show podcast is a production of Real Country, Hank FM.